Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. So in this episode, we're going to share a three-part series out of the California Freemason magazine. And this series is from 2017 and is written by John L. Cooper III, past Grandmaster. So the first article is from the May-June 2017 issue. It's in the Masonic Education series and is called Early Workshops of Freemasonry. Early lodges merged convivial dining experiences with serious reflection, a unique and short-lived tradition by John L. Cooper III, past Grandmaster. While the tools and symbols of Freemasonry have remained primarily constant since 1717, the way in which Masons have perceived the Lodge as a workshop of Freemasonry has evolved. This is the first of a three-part series that will explore this progression. Places of Celebration When the first Grand Lodge formed in 1717, both the initial lodges and the fledgling Grand Lodge were essentially dining clubs, with some old ritual thrown in as a way of bringing new members aboard. Discussions and lectures centered around the tools of the stonemason trade, which this old ritual had maintained, plus stories or legends inherited from old manuscript constitutions. Eating and drinking was the occasion of Masonic degrees and ceremonies rather than the other way around. The conviviality of early lodges is perhaps best expressed in the Edward Apprentice song, which is shown on the page here, It was printed for the first time in the Constitutions of 1723, which had been approved and published by the Premier Grand Lodge in London that year. This song, always sung during Making a Mason, describes how Masons of the time viewed Freemasonry in general, and their lodge in particular. The first principle is that of secrecy, the distinguishing characteristic of an initiatic society, and the trait that clearly separated these early lodges from the other social clubs and drinking societies of their time. Early Masons did not belong to a somber, sober organization conferring memorized degrees through letter-perfect renditions of authorized standard rituals. Instead, they assembled on merry occasion. The secrets of Freemasonry were conveyed to the new Mason in the context of having a jolly good time at the dinner table. The Grand Lodge had nothing to do with regulating the ritual that early lodges used. Instead, its efforts were focused on making sure that Masons did not embarrass the craft by being inebriated in public or parading through the streets in aprons while being pelted by rotten vegetables. Although this focus on merriment might lead one to suppose that early Freemasons were not interested in serious rituals or with shaping their lives in accordance with the symbols and teachings of Freemasonry, this was not the case. Despite the fact that these Masons enjoyed a good meal, good wine, and the camaraderie of the Lodge, there is ample evidence that they spent time listening to the extemporaneous lectures delivered by their best-informed members, and learning to practice out of the Lodge those great moral duties which are inculcated in it. A Turn Toward Solemnity This combination of enjoyable fellowship and serious reflection was a defining characteristic of early Freemasonry. It lasted, at least in the United States, until the great disaster of the Morgan Affair in 1826, when an ill-conceived attempt to prevent the publication of Masonic rituals ended up with a nearly 60% membership loss that shuttered lodges across the country. 
When Freemasonry began to grow again in the years before the Civil War, it was a very different institution. Lodges largely abandoned the festive board that had characterized their early years. Instead, they concentrated on conferring degrees with dignity and solemnity, as well as teaching candidates through memorized lectures. The business of running a lodge also took on a more serious tone with the rise of the stated meeting. Lodges spent evenings paying bills and planning activities rather than conducting the ritual around the festive board of earlier times. As this sober phase of Freemasonry took hold, lodges began meeting in purpose-built lodge rooms where eating and drinking were banned. Drinking alcohol on lodge premises was forbidden. This new type of lodge, however, was often unappealing to its members, and it is no surprise that the additional rites and degrees that would soon characterize Freemasonry at this time began to flourish. Convivial societies began to arise, requiring all members to be Freemasons. The Shriners, for example, came into existence in 1872, largely as an outlet for Masons to have the fun that had been denied to them within their lodges. This was also the time in which the study of Freemasonry and its symbols separated from the lodge. In the early years, capable and informed Masons had explained the symbols and traditions of Freemasonry to candidates, but now memorized lectures were the only way that Masonic education took place. This inspired the creation of Masonic research lodges and societies, places where Freemasons could learn things about their fraternity that were stylized and limited in the lodges themselves. Freemasonry had thus come to provide a very different experience than it had in its formative years. The idea of a Masonic lodge as a workshop where Masons learned the symbols and stories of Freemasonry, where they could ask questions, and where they could offer their own views had passed. And with this passing, the atmosphere of many lodges became stultified and ossified, a far cry from the free-form atmosphere of early lodges. All right, so now I'm going to go through the Entered Apprentice song, and it almost begs to be sung, so I'm going to try to sing it. Come let us prepare, we brothers that are assembled on merry occasion. Let's drink, laugh, and sing. Our wine has a spring. Here's a health to an accepted mason. The world is in pain, our secrets to gain, and still let them wonder and gaze on. They never can divine the word or the sign of a free and accepted mason. Antiquity's pride we have on our sign, and it maketh men just in their station. There's not but what's good to be understood by a free and accepted mason. I'm sure that was just awful, but you get the point. So hang out, and uh, we'll have parts two and parts three in the next two sections. All right, the second section of this three-part series is from the July-August 2017 California Freemason magazine. Freemasonry's workshops evolve. In the early 19th century, Lodge's collaboration yielded unprecedented results by John L. Cooper III, past Grand Master. While the tools and symbols of Freemasonry have remained constant since 1717, Mason's perception of the Lodge as a workshop of Freemasonry has evolved. This is the second in a three-part series exploring this progression. From 1717 to the mid-1800s, lodges evolved from social and dining organizations with ritual and old traditions into stylized Masonic business organizations that also conferred degrees. Lodges held monthly stated meetings to carry out required business. On separate occasions, they conferred degrees through memorized lectures, along with extemporaneous instruction and discussions about the meaning of the symbols and stories of Freemasonry. Although this turn towards formality signaled a decline in fellowship and mirth, it was not without its merits. 
One of the most defining characteristics of this transformation was lodges increasing partnership with each other through the respective Grand Lodges, an alliance that allowed them to accomplish collectively what they could not have achieved individually. Defining a Masonic Lodge as a workshop of Freemasonry thus continued in a different context. It expanded to become an organization that, in addition to supporting its own members, sought to enact Masonic values at a community and societal level. Freemasonry's Expanding Impact As a product of the Enlightenment, Freemasonry and educated society were inextricably connected. This ideal became even more important after the establishment of the New American Republic in 1776, as the concept of democracy relied upon an enlightened citizenry. As America expanded into the western frontier, several Grand Lodges created Masonic colleges, unique at their time because citizens were welcomed regardless of religious creed. Most East Coast colleges were established by churches and only served their members. These colleges, although short-lived, introduced the idea of providing public college-level education to all. Soon, public, state-sponsored colleges and universities became the American norm in higher education. Lodges had always cared for their own, a heritage from the operative stonemason days when they provided the only social safety net available. But in the 19th century, Grand Lodges began to create homes for aged and indigent members, members' wives and widows, and orphaned Masonic children. Growing out of the success of these enterprises, one of the greatest Masonic charities of all time was born. In 1922, the first of many Shriners hospitals came into existence to provide medical treatment for children at no cost to the patients or their families. As with the founding of colleges in the 19th century, this public 20th century charity showed the world that the principles inculcated inside Masonic lodges could and would result in greater things for all of society. And this was possible because lodges worked through their Grand Lodges to accomplish things that no one lodge could have ever done alone. It is doubtful that a Mason of 1723 would initially have found familiarity within a lodge 200 years later. However, the idea of a lodge as a workshop of the ideals of Freemasonry was unchanged. The roots of Masonic practices in the 20th century and beyond rested clearly in the lodges of 1723 and Freemasons' enduring belief that by the exercise of brotherly love we are taught to regard the whole human species as one great family. Freemasonry had changed, and yet it was the same. Its culture and activity were different, but a Mason from any era could be shown how the fraternity's advancements came about. And so it is today. The more we change, the more we are the same. And now we begin the third article in this series. Masonic Education, the Future of Our Masonic Workshops, Imagining Where Our Brotherhood May Go, by John L. Cooper III, Past Grandmaster. While the tools and symbols of Freemasonry have remained constant since 1717, Mason's perception of the Lodge as a workshop of Freemasonry has evolved. This article concludes a three-part series exploring this progression. We have now arrived at the last chapter of our study on the evolution and constancy of Masonic Lodges. First, we learn that early lodges enjoyed convivial atmospheres where Masonic fellowship was celebrated around the festive board as the symbols and stories of Freemasonry were learned and passed down. Then we learned how those lodges became centrally governed entities led by grand lodges that facilitated notable advancements, such as colleges, Masonic homes, and public education support, that individual lodges could never have achieved alone. Now we have arrived at the third phase, the future. It is perhaps the most fascinating as all of us play a central role in where it may lead. The future may hold surprising developments for the Lodge as a workshop of Freemasonry. Even as some time-tested traditions endure, 
we continue to be shaped by the ever-innovative electronic revolution. The internet has made Masonic education easily accessible to any Mason willing to invest time in locating resources about the symbols and stories of our ritual, and it facilitates new digital tools. The Candidate Education Program of the Grand Lodge of California has embraced this opportunity by implementing an online tool. Where once a candidate was limited to educating himself through reading a book or talking to other lodge members, he now can supplement this learning with a wealth of Masonic information available through the online Candidate Learning Center. The Lodge app that many lodges have implemented allows members to stay informed about lodge life and connected with one another on one convenient digital platform. And this is just the beginning. If today's lodges are any indication, the future of the fraternity will herald a return to joyful lodge fellowship. Many modern lodges have embraced the good food and fellowship practiced at the festive board. As they integrate our California Masonic rituals with these festive boards, many Masons experience the joy of sharing around the dinner table, a unique experience which some lodges call an agape. Others maintain the business model of the state of meeting, yet host celebrations upon the making of a Mason. The identity of a lodge as a group of men connected to a particular building is evolving, moving away from the hall as an integral part of the lodge's identity. Lodges are fluid, able to meet where their brothers are. It is entirely possible that in the future, meetings could be held online with members anywhere in the world. The use of virtual reality to enhance the degrees is already a possibility and may become commonplace as more members who are accustomed to immersive technologies join our ranks. Much lodge business can now be conducted electronically, saving time and making stated meetings quicker affairs, so much more time can be devoted to fellowship and the exercise of brotherly love. There's even a movement in some lodges to leave business practices to the officers, freeing the rest of the membership to participate only in ritual practices and degrees, celebrations, and other fraternal activities that lend a sense of connection and belonging. Through social networks, members often know more about members of their lodge today than they ever could in the past. As more brothers embrace technologies like the Lodge app, future Lodge social networks will keep members in touch daily in a real-time experience. Pooling resources and efforts through a Grand Lodge to promote great acts of public charity has expanded into major support for public schools and other worthwhile endeavors in today's lodges. Many men come to the fraternity because they were drawn to brothers' familiar good work in their own communities and families. The gentle hand of Freemasonry continues to lift up and inspire, and through our efforts this good work will endure. Charitable giving is easily done nowadays with automatic gifts pulled from checking accounts and credit cards. The flow of information from Grand Lodge to Lodges and from one Lodge to another has extended the possibilities of collective charitable action far beyond past capabilities. And taking care of one another as Lodge Brothers should becomes even easier as communications tools help members learn more easily of each other's struggles and potential needs. All these transformations of the routine of our brotherhood may well inspire us to return to our roots as a strong community of men whose lives are inexorably entwined with one another. And the possibilities of interconnectedness may make us crave in-person fellowship around a festive board even more. In the end, I imagine, we will return to singing our early songs once more, because despite the capabilities of technology and virtual connections, what could be more joyful than to gather around the table with a new Entered Apprentice and sing once more the Entered Apprentice song? Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.